On this episode, the Enterprise travels through both time and space to get to Montana. The Borg Queen shows Data some skin, Worf has an HR complaint, and John Luke loses it when an ex-girlfriend shows up at work and tries to move in with him. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard, take your stations and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, th- this week we're going to be talking about Star Trek VIII First Contact. First released November 22nd, 1996. And let's see, this is, uh, as you pointed out, this is the first Star Trek movie that we both saw after we knew each other. Yay! <laughs> um, I actually had a party for this when I uh, invited some friends over to watch Best of Both Worlds. And uh, then we went to the midnight showing of the of the movie after that. Oh, nice! That's better than mine. I uh, I moved in with a girl right after high school, and I moved into the same apartment complex that I had lived in. So I lived in this apartment complex during the previous movie, and between <laughs> the two movies, my parents and I moved to a different town. I graduated high school and moved in with a girl right back into the same movie theater, same apartment <laughs> complex. And so I ended up seeing it in the exact same movie theater as the previous movie <laughs> uh, by myself at a midnight showing because my girlfriend was not in any way interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's see. So so doing a little Star Trek nerd timeline stuff. Uh, this movie takes the movie takes place in 2373 um, from April 4th to April 5th, 2063, of course. It'll be six years after the end of the Next Generation series, and so five years after the last movie happened. Uh, Voyager uh, will not be lost for another three years yet, and Captain Sisko, at this point he's captain, has been in charge of Deep Space Nine for about five years. So as far as the whole Star Trek thing, that's that's where we're sitting. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, that's probably why they were able to use so many sets uh, that were in use on both of those TV shows. <laughs> Um, I mean, the general idea of this show is is fairly interesting. Um, basically, there is a uh, big battle with the Borg. Uh, this little place, you might have heard of it, it's called Wolf 359. <laughs> um, and uh, after the, this big battle, they blow up the Borg cube. The Enterprise is, is the one who actually makes a big impact there. We'll talk about that later. Uh, after the Borg cube blows up, they find a way to go back in time and try to affect Earth's history. The Enterprise has to fix that so that we can actually have first contact with Vulcans. Hence the name of the movie. Pretty good name, I think. Um, and, uh, and this will establish a lot of Star Trek mythos. I mean, uh, Enterprise will kind of shoot off from this film because it pretty much establishes a timeline for uh, when Earth becomes part of the galactic community, I guess, and, and starts working with the Vulcans. Absolutely. Uh, this movie is actually really, it, it kind of, writes the history book for star trek lore in yes yes it builds the birth of starfleet it builds the the uh birth of earth's introduction to the galaxy it it builds warp theory it builds time travel borg theory all kinds of crazy stuff is all hinged on this movie so it it, it really is a linchpin to the franchise i would totally agree and it was really nice that they actually used somebody from the franchise to actually direct the movie um, Jonathan Frakes, this would be his first feature film. Um, they had actually tried to get John McTiernan of uh, Die Hard and Ridley Scott of Alien to do the movie, and neither one of them had any interest whatsoever. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's not really their style. Uh, they're, they're definitely much more of a gritty style. Yes. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Die Hard director could have made an awesome Die Hard movie out of this. Um, the previous movie as well. There's some great Die Hard moments, but I don't think it's really... A good yeah. Fit. yeah it, it probably wasn't right for this movie and and uh, again star trek has a lot of things other than just the story going on that you really have to be careful with if you don't want your diehard fans to scream and yell and and declare the movie horrible <laughs> so it's yeah. it's really nice that they had somebody who actually was really familiar with both the cast the crew with the mythos the whole thing um as well as the producers and uh, and honestly 
just from my own standpoint, I think this is a really well put together film. I think for a first film for any director, um, any film for any director, I think this is a really well put together film. The music, the camera work, the work with the actors, this is a far better movie than it really should have been. Well, and I mean, realistically, if you just look at the way people feel about it, I mean, the tomato score on Rotten Tomatoes for this thing is a 92 Oh, wow. Uh, the previous movie was a 45, to put that in perspective. I mean, it's people really enjoy this one. It, it's It's got a lot to offer. It's entertainment, as well as those of us that are super geeky, really get into the story. So it, it is definitely one of the most loved in the franchise. There was one, uh, a couple of different accounts, because uh, a number of people had mentioned that... Uh, Jonathan Frakes as the director gained the nickname two takes Frakes because of how efficient he was Um, actually in hearing his side of the story. That isn't the reason he got that nickname. He got the nickname because on the first day of shooting, they got something. He liked it. He said, okay, that's a wrap. And one of the producers mentioned to him, well, we need another take. And he's like, no, I think we got it. And they had to explain to him, no, this is a major motion picture. You need to do two takes. And so he actually had to set everything back up and do the second take because he didn't know that. And uh, he learned that. So <laughs> according to him, two takes breaks was not the uh, complimentary uh, nickname that many people thought it was. That's awesome. Well, and I mean, he was so efficient because, I mean, he had a great working relationship with everybody, right? I mean, they've yes. been together for years. He knew everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's little ticks, everybody's little inconsistencies. And he also knew how to make everybody really great at what they were doing and i mean he he directed episodes on uh on tng as well oh yeah so, and some of my favorite episodes too really right so he he had a chance to put on the training wheels a little bit so it's it, it's good that they brought him in he's a, a great choice for this and i mean it turns out he's also just a good director yes yes totally agree totally agree so this was a uh, uh this was kind of a an amalgam uh, story that was put together from a couple of different angles because uh, um, you had Berman, the main producer, and he just insisted on time travel, which Rick, why do that to anything or anyone? Um, and then you had Brennan Braga and, and Roland Moore, and they really were insistent on, well, it has to be a Borg story. So what we have here is the culmination of different producers insisting on what they wanted. And, uh, Fortunately, it turned out to be a much better combination than it could have been because there were a couple of other ideas that were on the board. Yeah, I think the the combination is is kind of when you first think about it, it's kind of weird, um, and it's also one of those really hopeless situations too, where you're like, well, if they go back in time, what are we going to do about it? Because we don't exist. <laughs> but you know, if you don't pay attention to the you know the the back to future in or back to the future in. Uh, uh, theories then i I think you're okay like i I never once saw picard start seeing his hand fade while he's (laughs) playing his uh, music Um, yeah we we didn't get to see him do the guitar solo either so right that's true that's true maybe if we'd gotten that far it would have been good um i I do think that there were some options that they could have gone with to open this up a little bit more um you know they they could have thrown in some easter eggs for the fans and stuff like you know true stop off in 1986 or something like that, you know, (laughs) just throw some stuff out there. And so there were on the, on the board, they actually had to had possibly going back to the American civil war and fighting the Borg or going back to medieval times and fighting the Borg. Uh, Patrick Stewart, I saw in a short interview, just said the idea of fighting the Borg with swords was just too much for him. He couldn't, couldn't make that leap. I don't know, though. I mean, as we'll see later, the Borg aren't real great when it comes to martial <laughs> arts and uh, and to uh, physical projectiles. So <laughs> I don't know. Hand to hand combat isn't their isn't their strong suit. Of course, they right. always have, you know, they always have multi tools hooked up to their hands. So that is true. I don't know where they keep the uh, the compressors for those things. Uh, so. Our, our movie's going to open up with uh, uh, a nice tight shot on Picard, and uh, he's he's having his dream about being back on on the uh, Borg ship and and being assimilated and hearing all the voices. And you get to see what it looked like when they hooked him up to the holding device that I'm pretty sure is used for doing LASIK surgery. But hey, it, <laughs> it was really it was really scary. 
Now I will say one of the nastiest and most just oh, skin crawliest things they do is they do a close up of a drill bit going right uh, towards his eye yeah. and pushing on the lens. <laughs> As somebody who has been awake during eye surgery, I can tell you this isn't my favorite part of the film. Yeah, me too. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the problem I have with this is he wakes up and you see him look in the mirror and he's got two beautiful brown eyes, just like Sir Pat Stu <laughs> always does. That man had his eyeball popped. They put a drill bit in it and they gave him a new cybernetic eye. We know that from watching the TV show. How come he doesn't have a Jordy eye? Why does he have a pretty, a pretty beautiful brown eye? I don't understand that. Uh, Borgs make better eyes. But he wasn't fixed by the Borg. He was rescued from the Borg. That's a Starfleet However, issue eyeball right there. However, when we pull him off, when he's Lacutus and he's in the, uh, he's in the rubber uh, uh, jogging pants on Best of Both Worlds, he does have both eyes when they pull off the, the headset. Then what was the drill bit about? I don't know. There's an inconsistency there. I think that man's got a glass eye. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, every single... Oh, there you go. It, it's like TikTok. It's just downloading everything that he watches and just sending it right over to the board. Oh, there you go. I like it. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's like he's being driven by Klingon sisters. Uh, <laughs> so... He he does he does the obligatory look to the camera, put a laser beam <laughs> right on the camera. I'm always kind of torn. Like, should I should I look away from this? Is this going to burn out my eyes? Um, apparently, though, some of the drones, uh, the lasers that are pointing out of their heads, are actually uh, the the props are actually flashing Morse code of people's names on the production crew i read this as well that is actually that's one of those things of okay that's cool it, it's right it's not something huge but it's just something cool yeah i wish i knew morse code well enough to, to watch <laughs> oh, oh wait that wow that's really cool i just said brandon braga wow that's why so many people were distracted when i was first watching the film those were all people who knew morse code you can always tell the navy guys in the audience they're like no no <laughs> shh, shh. i got the, hold on a sec <laughs> What are they writing down on those little pads of paper? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's a dream within a dream. And uh, I, I got to admit, they got me. So then <laughs> Picard, you know, he, he's standing there looking at the screen and, and boom, a little thing bursts out of his cheek, which uh, and, and it's a, a, a Borg implant that spiders out and immediately starts tugging at his face. I thought it was cool because this is very similar to something that seven of nine dreamt about. Yes. Um, she had that same nightmare and I'm sure they used the same video for it. But <laughs> I, I thought it was really cool that they kind of reused that idea um, of, you know, they're just kind of going to burst forth. Yeah. And I have to say it, it was really done, well done from the, uh, the surprise. The first time you see this particular uh, uh, sequence, the surprise of it was really well done. Yeah. Um, now, so then he gets a phone call and it's the Admiral and the Admiral's like, Hey man, uh, there's, there's some bad stuff going on. Uh, first off, I did notice that he used an authorization code. I haven't heard before. He used authorization Picard four, seven alpha tango. Um, and later in the movie, he's going to use a security code again and he does reuse the same code. So I have to wonder does everybody on the ship know Picard's code? Is that why the sodas are free, right? Everybody's just unlocking all those soda machines. But they can also say voice. Yeah, right? Um, so the Admiral's like, you know, there's some trouble brewing, and I'm going to tell you more detail in just a second. And Picard's like, no, it's the Borg. I know. Now, the first so thing I didn't notice when he... Phone, dude. <laughs> first thing I noticed when, when he wakes up is... The new Enterprise, we're seeing the, for the first time the interior of the new Enterprise. Yeah, they're still low on light bulbs. They still, everything in this place it's is It's true. Just I, I think they've screwed in a few more light bulbs than they did before. <laughs> um, the Enterprise E, I think, is using a little bit more high efficiency LEDs. But yeah, it's still pretty dark. <laughs> but yes, you're right. Okay, so I know the Borg. Well, as you said, um, perhaps you could have let somebody else know that. Right. 
hey, Admiral, you know the board kind of broadcast into the middle of my skull. Maybe I should be working at Starfleet. <laughs> uh, just an idea. How does the board get this far into Federation space? Um, well, okay. So the board are like transporters. The, the rules don't apply in any way. So the Borg are like, you know, we've got these trans-warp conduits that can oh, drop us yes. anywhere in the known galaxy. Right? It, oh, and by the way, trans-warp conduit, it exists in subspace, so you can't see it. <laughs> I know. It's mysterious. Listen, I really like the Borg. I swear to God, I totally do, but they're real dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... They, they are their own worst enemy in so many ways. Oh, totally. <laughs> so speaking of the Enterprise-E, we are on a new ship. Uh, we're going to get the first look at the exterior of it. We pan out after he says, I, you know, you love the Borg. And he says, I know. And then we pan <laughs> the Enterprise-E in all its glory. Now, personally, I am not a fan of this ship. I think it's Is that right? Oh, I hate it. Look, the, the nacelles, they look like they've got like eyes on them. I, I, the whole thing just kind of seems icky to me. I thought the um, cells were a little long. I thought that yeah. was uh, kind of bizarre. And it's kind of, there's this, there's a couple different uh, classes. I don't, I honestly don't know the classes off the top of my head, but there's a couple different classes that the, the disc looks more like a shovel. And okay. Yes. This is definitely one of those where it, r- more of a shovel shape, less of a disc shape. I don't know. It just doesn't really sit well with me. I, uh, this is a sovereign class uh, ship. Um, I, I actually didn't mind the design. The The biggest issues I have with it is when you look at it, this is not a ship for exploration. I mean, yeah. this is a ship to go and shoot at people with, and uh, which in the movies, it does. It's going to do that in, in all the movies. But this did move away. In fact, in the next movie, Picard makes the comment about, do you remember when we were explorers? Because this does not look like a ship for exploration. This looks yeah. like a ship for intimidating people. Well, and I, I think there's a, a lot to be said about the, the fact that it is the flagship of the Federation. And they've really kind of shied away from talking about that a lot in the past few movies. And I, I think it's got more to do with the fact that it, it became really clear that the flagship is not going to be an exploration vessel. The flagship is something you roll in to say, hey, we're big dogs and this is how things are going to get done. And when we sit down to do diplomacy, you're going to listen. This and was also this ship really does that. Yeah, and this ship was also commissioned uh, during the Dominion War or the lead up to the Dominion War, so mm-hmm. that also could have have very much to do with the uh, the type of des- design that they want, were going with at the time. Yeah, that time frame on DS Nine definitely showed more of a militarized uh, Federation. Yes, yes. Now, thankfully, we were spared because of the fact that this is an action shot. We were spared the 10 minute flyby. Um, <laughs> never once did we see Shatner or Scotty photoshopped onto the outside of a shuttle. We never, uh, we never had to stare lovingly at lights shining on the enterprise. My God, it's so beautiful. Right? We were just like, Oh, Hey, it's a ship. Hey, look at that. It's called the enterprise. It's However, there it you is. notice that this ship has a license plate. Does it? Yes. On the very back of the engineering section, the word enterprise is written right across the back on a little tiny, the the little tiny (laughs) tail end of it. I saw it on a couple scenes and I'm like, they put a friggin' license plate on that thing. (laughs) The only thing that would have been better is if it was the NCC 1701. (laughs) That was good stuff. Um, So we're going to head into the briefing room. Uh, This is the briefing room that is, uh, that was built for um, the Enterprise D on TNG. Okay. But it has been overhauled to become the Enterprise E briefing room. Uh, this is one that's been reused a lot. I mean, we blew it up in, uh, uh, <laughs> was it Undiscovered Country? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, uh, it's been turned into bars before. It's been all kinds of good stuff, right? Uh, you know, Scotty made his big discovery there. Uh <laughs> However, uh, it was used again after this in Star Trek Enterprise as well. Um, in the final episode of Star Trek Enterprise, they do the uh, the Enterprise crew is looking at this on the ho- or is looking at the Enterprise on the holodeck, and there's a couple scenes where Riker and Troy are walking around the Enterprise D, 
clearly, clearly recreated scenes or uh, sets because they're terrible. They look nothing <laughs> like the D. Um, and they go into the the observation room, and you're like, eh, "That's pretty close." Like the chairs have clearly been made very hastily, but that's pretty close to the original. <laughs> the reason why is because it was a redress of the redress of of this room. Um, never, so that was never, kind of never waste something. Man. Never waste right? something. On the wall, they once again have all the ships all laid out, uh, little gold ships, just like they had before. Uh, this time, they they do not have an aircraft carrier. There's no space shuttle. Uh, there is only the Enterprise, the bloody A, the bloody B, the bloody C, all the way through the E. Um, yeah, and there's it. no NX-01. There's no... no I, I, at this point, I'm thinking there is some sort of prejudice against Jonathan Archer, but I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that because... Well, the, so Jonathan Archer was everybody's hero, and then, you know this video surface that turns out he wasn't very nice to people. Uh, you know how, you know how fickle the universe is. His dog bit somebody. Right. <laughs> so he, uh, so Picard gives everybody the, the download of what's going on. Um, and explains that, yes, the Borg are attacking and everybody's like, yeah, let's go. We're going to kick some Borg butt. This is going to be amazing. He's like, yeah, we're not going. <laughs> So th- this time we're doing the actual opposite of the normal Star Trek trope, which is the normal trope is you're the only ship in the area. This one, they go the opposite way. It's like, don't come. Don't be in the area, please. Go over there. Which, look, I kind of get where they're coming from, from Starfleet's perspective. But on the same token, like, is this guy your most valuable resource or is he most dangerous? And if he's the most dangerous, why not just put him somewhere? Yes. Get him off the ship and send the most powerful ship in your fleet to go fight the Borg. And let's not, let's not leave out. If you get rid of Picard and you just put him in a shuttle and have him sit there for a while, mm-hmm. you still have the captain who defeated, defeated the Borg after Wolf 359, which was William Riker. So it's not as if you have somebody who's completely unprepared for the situation. You have like the dude. Who pulled it off Hold last on. time? Are you suggesting they have video chat available? <laughs> <laughs> so like, yeah, seriously, everything is like I have to be right there in person. No, you don't. You have <laughs> you have com- the ability to communicate across light years and light years. <laughs> Dude, you could have done this all on a whiteboard. We would know exactly what was going on. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure they've perfected digital whiteboards by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the future. It's not heaven, dude. Right. So Picard, he's like, uh, I don't know. We're going to go to the neutral zone, whatever. That's what they told me. So suck it up, guys. We're going. <laughs> and he walks out. And when he walks out, uh, our, our next shot that we see is all of Picard's stuff rattling like crazy because he's listening to some really hardcore, just loud, amazing, soul stomping, heart pounding opera. <laughs> <laughs> Captain's tip, if you really want to stay pissed off about something, play some loud opera. Oh, man. That'll drill through your head. Why doesn't he listen to, like, Klingon rock? We know that's some really (laughs) hardcore stuff. Uh, The doctor's kids told us that. (laughs) Anyway, no, it it makes me feel bad for the people who live next door. Because you know that every time they're trying to get some sleep, the captain's trying to noodle over a new issue. It's just, (laughs) He's playing Vivaldi again. Jesus, <laughs> never getting to sleep. I, I do like, and this is one of those things that because I'm the director, I get to do this. You know, I, uh, Jonathan Frakes shot of him entering the scene through the reflection in the in the window. That's one of those things of, hey, do you think it'd be cool if I did that? And you can imagine just around saying, okay, yes, that'll that'll be right. great. You know, we'll realize your vision. You know, you know <laughs> actually, a really I, cool scene. It's such a cool effect and, and and it's a clear reflection off of a tinted window that I kind of wonder if they were actually trying to get kind of a tight shot on uh, Patrick Stewart looking out the window and using that reflection to see him. And then somebody walked in front of a light and they were like, oh, that's cool. No, no, let's do it that way. Right? Um, yeah, and then of course Riker tries to guess at what the music is and the card's like, the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't throw him out right there. Bizet, are you kidding me? Out. Right. 
<laughs> I, never I don't know. You. <laughs> I did find it funny though that when they looked back at at Riker, you know, speaking of the lighting, this room isn't particularly bright, but the space around the door where Riker came in, it looks like a Klingon bridge. There's like a grate <laughs> up above the ceiling that there's light filtering through, and it's like, what is going on here? What kind of prison cell does Picard live in? Or maybe he's just he's really a fan of the Klingon aesthetic, and he's like, oh, no, no, I want I want more grates, Give me more grates. <laughs> I'm gonna have a wall of blades too, because you know that's that's the kind of thing Kirk would have liked. I I, I wanted like my last ready room, but mm, grittier. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any chains? I'd like to have chains. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they they have a discussion about the fact that Starfleet's really not interested in having him go up against all of his old buddies, um, <laughs> which again. Just don't send him. I don't. I don't really understand <laughs> why. Why? It's 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 not one of those things where he's a part of the ship. You can separate. Captain no, in the Enterprise. I mean, that's something that Kirk set up, right? Is this whole concept that the man and the ship are one, and you can't have one without the other, unless you happen to have a Jellico handy. <laughs> you got one of those handy, then the the captain splits from the ship, and you're good to go. Now there would have been a movie. Bring in Ronnie Cox, and oh, he yeah. could have commanded the Enterprise. Oh yeah. Uh, incidentally, uh, have you followed uh, Captain Edward Jellico on Twitter? Uh, a little bit. If not, you really should, because that is it's basically uh, under the name Captain Edward Jellico, and under that that image, they post dad jokes framed around. <laughs> Uh, memes of next generation folks and it's so funny oh my god as a fan of ronnie cox i i'm a big fan of it anyway sorry totally off the off the the beaten path there so in that case we're just gonna head over to the enterprise e bridge which is bizarre yeah it is i'm gonna tell you right now this bridge was designed by people who've never worked in an office. Yeah. Yes. I completely agree. I mean, first of all, you have two half cub- cubicles up front for your, uh, your ops and your helm station. Mm-hmm. How is that an improvement? Well, and the <laughs> wraparound cubicles too. Yeah. Like if I had a desk that wrapped around me and like was almost touching my waist, how do you even sit in that? <laughs> I, it really looks like those guys have way too much responsibility. You know, it's like, right? shouldn't there be a couple other you know, stations around the bridge for this sort of thing. Well, and, and, and the triangular monitors, oh. I, I mean, years later in the office, we'd get to see those as pads, you know, harness the power of the pyramid thing. But right. it's just odd that you would choose. Well, if you think about it from an engineering perspective, why would you want that? Yes. Do you realize how hard it is to fit triangles? Yes. <laughs> like, oh my God. Give me squares and rectangles any day. Not to mention, like, you know, I could use one to replace a different screen. No, no, no. These are custom isosceles triangles. They're real hard. <laughs> the other thing that I didn't really get is like on, on the Enterprise D, I really liked the comfortable, cozy captain. And then next to him is two officers and this nice curve. And everybody could see the screen. It was really nice. And this one, they're like, okay, those two officers, what if they were staring at the captain all day? <laughs> we'll just turn them just a little bit. It'll be great. And we're going to give them super weird triangular desks. It'll be awesome. It, it, it's kind of as if they they went from having a really nice hotel lobby for their bridge to the extension of uh, Dunder Mifflin and Scranton. I mean, it just <laughs> they, kind of, they went from the know. really plush lobby area to the business center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's three guys that are standing around cause they have to balance their laptop on their luggage <laughs> because there are no chairs. There are what three oh. chairs on this thing. Seriously. It's really <laughs> weird. I don't know. Um, the other thing that was really strange is uh, they they start listening to the battle. Uh, when they turn on the, the, the feed for the battle, it's like everybody. Like, what is this feed? Like, is there a universal feed? Like, oh, don't forget to like and subscribe to Starfleet Radio, where we play all battles all the time. 
Hello, just... Mr. and Mrs. Federation and all the ships in space. <laughs> we are here as the Borg are showing up. Yeah, it, yeah. it uh, the old-timey oh. radio sound of it was a little bizarre. <laughs> you know, that's something that's always bothered me about Star Trek. Like, I, I mean, if you think about, okay, 60s Star Trek, cool. The The advancement of technology at that point in history says that radio requires some adjustment or you get static. Cool. By the time TNG rolled around, we already had digital tuners. Yes. We already had the ability to tune something in and it's either on or off, <laughs> not staticky. And Star Trek likes to throw in static. <laughs> well, see, this is what happens when you get rid of Uhura's post. You don't have a communications officer anymore. You got Worf doing that or whoever's true. tactical. Well, and there there aren't really stations on this bridge. It's really bizarre. Everybody does everything. It's all over the place. Yeah, I never quite understood the merging in, in Next Generation of uh, communications and tactical because it kind of seemed like you had somebody who was like, answer me or I'll punch you in the face. You know, right? it, just, <laughs> it kind of seemed like the, those jobs are on opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, you, you want somebody to, I, I just want kind of like the Enterprise, uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, you your tactical on one side of the bridge. You got your communications on the other side of the bridge. Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> the best hey, they Bulbers. get is to look dirty at each other. <laughs> so we get the old time radio feed and we do hear the Bozeman out there. So shout out to the Bozeman, Morgan Bateson. Go Bozeman. <laughs> and, and I do love that. Okay, well, we're listening to this and everyone's shouting and everything right in the middle of it. The board cut in now. All the radio feeds from Starfleet all sound, as we mentioned, like World War II radios. When the board mm -hmm. comes in, they are in crystal clear FM radio. I mean, well, so there's a reason why. There's a very valid reason why. If any of the rest of the movies have taught us anything, it's that any enemy can take over the PA system of any Starfleet <laughs> vessel at any point. So I just assume that they took over the PA system of all the Starfleet vessels right then. So it wasn't really the radio feed we were listening to. <laughs> Got you. I do love this scene though, because they show the apprehension of the crew as they kind of sweep across the bridge, except for the gold shirt guy who's sitting at tactical, who's kind of leaning up against it. And he's almost as like, did you just hear what he said to me? Right. He looked very angry about the whole thing. He was, he was not, did, not. Did he talk it. about my sister? <laughs> 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 I wish a drone would. Right. So I do love that now Picard is going to just be like, you know what? Screw this. And he stands up. I'm about to commit a direct violation of orders. Who's with me? <laughs> Anyone who objects will be noted as a pansy in my log. <laughs> now, Neil McDonough is sitting at, I what is it? I don't, I don't even know what that station he's is supposed he's to be. He's at Elm. Is it Helm? Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, sometimes Data's Helm, sometimes he's Helm. It really it depends on the moment, I guess. Yeah, very true. Um, I, I always had a problem with that on the D as well. Anyway, so Neil McDonough, uh, he's a great actor. He's uh, he, he got a big start in Band of Brothers. Uh, he was on Desperate Housewives for a while. My personal favorite was on the show Boomtown. He played the district attorney who was a severe alcoholic going through divorce. And his favorite pastime was boxing. So we had several oh, scenes great. where he would just beat the crap out of people. He was a lot of fun. Uh, he's also known for his crystal clear blue eyes. He's kind of an intimidating dude just because he's super duper handsome and like just kind of has a weird, almost creepy look, but like in a friendly, creepy way. It's, it's yeah, kind it's of very bizarre, unique. Right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, he had a lot of great moments in this movie. Uh, he takes this particular moment. When Picard's asking for any volunteers, he kind of looks slyly around like, I'm going to get away with this. <laughs> it's, it's really funny. And one thing, okay, I'm, I'm going to, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to thank the writers and the director because we get the whole thing with the data turn around and saying, you know, I think everyone's like to hell with our orders, you know, and we get a chuckle out of it, but we get the cute data situation that is a carryover from the last movie. And we just kind of mm -hmm. get it out of the way. Right. But there'll be one more slight thing a little bit later, but I really want to thank the writers and the director for saying, 
we're not doing this this entire film. That's that's not uh, what this film is going to be about. <laughs> I gotta I gotta admit, usually I'm a big fan of of uh, Spiner's delivery on, on some of this stuff and the way that he, you know, even when he's given total garbage like the last movie, he still delivers it well. <laughs> but this one, he delivered it and kind of looked around like he was waiting for mommy to yell at him, <laughs> and I just, oh. It was so cringy. I just did not like it. And of course, the rest of the crew kind of gives him a little smile, like, oh, isn't he so cute? Oh. It's like, oh, thank you. guys, we, we, we did this in Star Trek four with uh, with colorful metaphors. We we've kind of been through the whole, you know, unemotional right. people cursing thing. That's we get it. It's a movie <laughs> and you're not on on uh, prime time. We understand. Um so let's talk about this particular uh, set, the, oh, the Enterprise yes. E bridge. Yeah, because we have an aft sta- station that's from the Enterprise A. Um, we have the turbo lifts that are actually from the original movie. It's one of those things of like, how did those survive that long? How did that one bridge set totally get wiped out? But somehow, the alcoves for the for the turbo lifts were. Uh, kept and of course uh, you mentioned later that the conference room will be the conference room from the enterprise d so we're yep. reusing a lot of things and i remember i read i did not read the whole thing but i do remember i read part of the novelization of this particular story and one of the things they also played in is that wherever possible the metal from this ship was metal that they pulled from the d and reconfigured well, that's to cool. put into uh, to this ship well, that makes a lot of sense with some of the stuff that will come up later, too. Yes. Uh, with discussions yeah. about just resources in general. Um, and it is, is, we did mention this in a, in a previous show, but the Turbolift Bay is actually the only thing that has survived from the motion picture <laughs> all the way to this ship. It's like an old friend at this point. Right? <laughs> and we know it's the same one because there's been times when uh, people forgot to redress the turbo <laughs> we, we, or turbolift alcove and we saw you know oh look they left the same display up um so yeah i i assume that that alcove it gets reused because it's one of those parts that kind of rolls away separately yeah and like yeah, i would think so you know that's a piece that fits through double doors as opposed to the rest of the set so i'm gonna guess that that's like uh we we can put that in the warehouse it'll fit and so much and of the so set is is uh, uh, is kind of put together so that it can be pulled apart so they can get the camera yeah. in certain angles. That was one of the things from the that we'll talk about when we talk about the original series that was so revolutionary about it was the pizza pie set to. Pull oh yeah, the modular nature the makes things. it really useful. Yeah. So now we've got to jet on over to the battle for Earth since you know the Enterprise decided to go get involved. <laughs> so we see so, Earth in the background, and then we see the big cube. Um, so they, they jet into the battle and they start shooting at the board cube. And what um, we and get to see is we get to see the defiant. Yes. And I'm, and I'm jumping in here because the defiant is my personal favorite starship, Star Trek. Um, and ironically, this is the only time we are going to get it seen being used for what it was designed for, which was trying to blow a board. Yeah, I never really understood why they never ended up in a Borg fight when that's like when I was watching DS9, I, I felt the same way. I was like, all right, they show this ship every once in a while, but it had a purpose. There yeah. was a reason they made this thing. It was supposed to kick some serious butt. Now, in all fairness, they did talk about how they modified it so that it would be more useful in the Dominion War. True. So I do get that to a certain extent that it was kind of like eh, priority shifted, but it is cool that they finally got to use it against the Borg. Yes. Unfortunately, yes, uh, the Borg seem to be kicking the crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they, so interestingly enough, they so like they as I said, they were kicking the crap out of this thing. the The producers actually wanted to blow it up, uh, and <laughs> when they when they said that they wanted to blow it up, the writers were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 hold up! <laughs> we're still filming DS9, guys." <laughs> like Rebel Moore is like, "I'm still using that." Hey, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, which, I, which I'm glad. It, unfortunately, we will see the Defiant blown up eventually, which is sad. In it is sad, nine, but we'll get another one. So, exactly, they'll build more. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Take all you want. We'll make more. Uh, so 
the 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 uh, Defiant also has a great new crew member we've never seen before. <laughs> Adam Scott. Man. So th- this for me is kind of like the uh, Star Trek Two moment when you see Bruce McCullough pop up out of nowhere. Totally. Um, seeing Adam Scott after not seeing this movie for a long time and then picking it up again and and then going that really looks like Adam Scott. And then hearing his <laughs> voice, it's like, yeah, that's Adam Scott. Right. And he is a uh, known Star Trek nerd. He, he has an excellent episode of children's hospital where he plays a Star Trek nerd dressed as a Klingon, which is hilarious. Oh, nice. Um, so it kind of fits in with the thing, but, uh, and then of course we get to see Worf. We needed an excuse to bring Worf back in. So what, what did we do? We said, let's have Worf take the defiant. Why would Cisco? take well, this ship there well, in all cool. fairness Worf did captain the, the defiant a couple times on true on ds9 very true but not enough that you know cisco would be like no 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 i'll stay here with the space station you go do it <laughs> now cisco would have been like i'm there because of course cisco lost his wife at uh wolf 359 and yes so really hated the borg if i had if i had written this film Basically, one meter, just tiny change would have been the scene later with Alfredo Woodard yelling at Picard. We would have kept Avery Brooks for around for that and let him do that because he's really good at that. Oh, he would have slapped <laughs> Picard. <laughs> so um, my favorite part about this scene is, of course, Worf looking pensively <laughs> out across all of the destruction. And he says, perhaps today is a good day to die. Which is one of those things that makes me think, man, do Klingon horoscopes ever change? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's every one of them is the same. It's like you just get a rubber stamp for the for their horoscope session. <laughs> Let's see, you're you're what? You were born when? You're a bakcha? Oh yeah. Well, um, today's a good day to die. That's right. <laughs> Uh, what did you have for breakfast? Gah. Ah, yes. Today is a good day to die. Honey, did you see this? I just looked at my horoscope. It tells me today's a good day to die. I just paid three Klingon dinars for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, full disclosure, I have no idea what their money is called. I <laughs> I'm sure somebody will tell us. Oh, yeah. Uh, so then Worf shouts <laughs> defiantly ramming speed wait where's the button for that uh it's right across right above ludicrous uh, <laughs> now was that was that standard ramming speed or metric ramming speed i just want to uh, make sure we're doing the I, right I, thing I, it really depends on the ship um <laughs> you know if the ship's from the eastern hemisphere then it's metric oh <laughs> <laughs> well, i get it this is what in the enterprise pops into their view and uh adam scott says sir it's it's the enterprise it's here <laughs> and picard just looks at that screen like oh i mean uh wharf does and like just picard you magnificent bastard <laughs> uh, i just you can see the pride on his face like oh we're saved it's my old homies oh man so then the enterprise enters the battle and the first thing that he that we hear is the admiral's ship has been destroyed of course of course. And Picard jumps up and yells, I'm taking command. No, I love the shot right after this because they show Troy's face, which looks a little concerned. I'm thinking, you know, when your shrink looks that worried, you might want to reel it in just a bit, you know? Um, yeah, right. I mean, listen, <laughs> it's a well-known fact. Kirk taught us anything. When you're this close to Earth, there are no other admirals. <laughs> There's only one admiral. And he got killed, so... It, it, go, it falls to a captain and it always falls to the captain of the enterprise first. So somebody did try to justify this and say, no, if we look at the um, episodes of Equinox um, on Voyager and they bring up the fact that order 191 article 14 basically says in a battle situation, the ship of the highest tactical ability is the shipping command. But again, earth is right over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also why doesn't earth have a big gun yeah it would it would kind of seem that it would have a number of those right i mean i i've met earthlings a few one or <laughs> one or two and in my experience earthlings generally like to have really big guns <laughs> it's one of the things you know right um and 
Okay, so given the fact that we are right over Earth and there's probably more admirals, we probably don't need a field commander, but if we did, I'm pretty sure there's somebody more experienced <laughs> than Picard. Well, well, especially his first move is, hey, everybody, fire at that part that doesn't seem to make any difference whatsoever. So that's going to raise a, raise a lot of faith in you by all the other captains around. Hey, I'm taking charge. Mm-hmm. Shoot at the television antenna. Oh, and by <laughs> the way, uh, Picard, I'm going to ask a real tough question here. How come you never wrote a white paper on what to shoot at on a board? Shoot. <laughs> Why is this not standard operating procedure? <laughs> Good. Well, once again, information that would have been useful to us yesterday. Right? <laughs> All those other ships that died, that's your fault, dude. <laughs> and the thing is, he doesn't even stop there because after he tells everybody, he stares at the screen. We watch two more ships blow up. And then he says, mm-hmm. fire. Right. So Thanks for the dramatic pause there if that, those that ships are really anywhere great. near the size of say the enterprise then you just killed two thousand people because <laughs> you took your captain's class on dramatic pause but hey, hey no man you know whenever it feels right for you you know mm-hmm. <laughs> they call it kirk 101 <laughs> it really helps everyone could like look at my mouth when i do it it's just <laughs> right so one, uh, thing, one thing that I read up also now, the version that I, I did not go back after I read this and look at it, but there are a few people who have said that in certain versions of this particular film, ILM did put a small Millennium Falcon in the battle over Earth. Yeah. Um, so it is there. Uh, I could not see it on the Paramount or on the, the Apple digital release. Um, I went back and looked like four times. However, uh, if you go to the Daystrom Institute Techno, or excuse me, D I T L Daystrom Institute Technical, did I write it down? I think I wrote it down. Daystrom Institute Tech Library, D I T L dot org, and you search through there for the Akira class ship. Yes. Um, on the very last image that they have on their page, they you can see the Millennium Falcon is right next to the nacelle there. And, I mean, if you know what you're looking for, it's pretty obviously the, the Millennium Falcon. But, man, that even on that high-quality image, it's pretty blurry. Um, there is definitely a lot of people who have tried to assign it a, uh, like a next-gen style ship design to, like, what would the Millennium Falcon look like if it was designed by Starfleet kind of thing? Right. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a little nod that they thought was funny. They stuck it in there. It's definitely there. Uh, from what I understand, it's only on the DVD releases though. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'll have to, I'll have to look and see which DVD release I actually have because there's been a number of repackages, so I'm not sure which yeah. one I've got. Incidentally, uh, the Daystrom Institute Tech Library, I highly advise people to check it out. Again, it's ditl.org. Uh, it is one of the best implementations of LCARs I have ever seen on any website. And the amount of information they've got there that's just on ships and other paraphernalia from the shows, it's really cool. I highly advise checking it out. So they fire a whole bunch of munitions at this thing. Everybody throws everything they've got at it. And of course the cube explodes and everybody wins and the whole movie's over. Congratulations. <laughs> Except, Except the board cube spits out a board ball. <laughs> and, and the enterprise is the only one who seems to notice this. Well, of course they are because they're the only ones that are facing the wrong way. For some reason, <laughs> they're looking at earth and everything's blown up behind them. And they're like, hey, there's a ball. So Picard's like, ball, 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 ball. And he starts chasing the ball. Mr. Peter, fetch. Now, in, in, in fairness, uh, like you, you had noted here, there, there's not a whole lot we know about the Borg at this point because the Voyager hasn't come back. True. Um, so it's fine that they don't really know about this. And I mean, realistically, this is one of the first times that we see a Borg ball. 
I think before this, Voyager is the only ones who's actually seen them. Uh, yeah, that's true. And so actually, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, you yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Um, so, yeah. Then, all of a sudden, the doors open and an old friend returns. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Uh, uh, it's me, Worf. I kind of here's the thing. I, I kind of borrowed the Defiant without asking anybody. So <laughs> I, I was just wondering, is it is it could that be fixed? Because yeah, I, I could be in some trouble here. Listen, O'Brien's gonna chew me a new one when he <laughs> sees what I did to this thing. So uh, can you guys fix that up for me? <laughs> I, and then we have the uh, we have the comments from uh, from Riker about. Uh, do you still know how to fire phasers and, and uh, tough little ship and stuff like this? And the thing that cracks me up is Frakes, <laughs> unlike William Shatner as a director, Frakes doesn't give himself the most heroic scenes. He gives himself all the best lines. I know it's all the, right. all the funniest lines go to him, which as you know, what ain't mad at you. Wouldn't say I wouldn't do oh. the same thing myself. <laughs> Dude, he's he's got great delivery because that smarmy delivery. <laughs> if you think about the way that that Riker was on TNG, all the best stuff was like the last two seasons when they let him kind of open up and give that kind of delivery on stuff. <laughs> and some of that is just just gold. And so when he took over as director, I think he recognized that and he did exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and it, it works really well because, like you said, he, his delivery is excellent, and it it worked really well. So he's giving Worf crap about like, do you still remember how to do this? Because Worf marches on the bridge, and what do they do? They take the finest tactical <laughs> officer that money can buy because it's the Enterprise, and they're like, you know what? Why don't you get out of the way? This guy that got busted down and sent out to a space station, <laughs> he's your guy. We're gonna put him back in charge. He's only been doing that for like five years now. It's fine. Whatever. Oh, yeah. This is kind of awkward, but uh, my old friend is back, and I was right? wondering if uh, he could have his old chair back. Um, yeah. <laughs> Captain, I have bad news. Today is a good day to be recertified because all of it has expired. <laughs> <laughs> I've never actually fired a quantum torpedo before. I don't know how this works. <laughs> so it's still the button, right? The button? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Why are all these monitors triangles? <laughs> I mean, he's Klingon. He's really used to everything being, cl- uh, being oh, diamond or, or triangle shaped. He's like, oh, hello. It looks like my buddy Clark has redesigned this. (laughs) Why is there no periscope? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Enough enough ragging on Worf. (laughs) So then then the Borg ball starts spitting out green stuff in front of it. And Data analyzes it and has to report back to the captain that appears the writers have run out of room and or run out of new ideas and we're going to have some time travel going on. Um, in case you weren't aware, chronotons mean time travel. <laughs> Did he say temporal? That doesn't mean that we're going to deep fry Asian food. No, it means time travel. This Thank is basically just Rick Berman saying, okay, they wouldn't allow me to use time travel on the, on the last movie, which is a movie that sorely needed time travel because we wanted to bring Kirk and, and Picard together. And they said I couldn't. So by God, yeah, you're getting time travel this time, guys. Right. <laughs> and all you can think is, oh, I just wish Ensign Daniels would stop it right here, please. Right. Just freeze the whole thing and go, Picard. No. Uh-uh. Listen, I'll blow up that ball for you. Just stop. I, I almost want to do at this point a Paramount Plus uh, uh, spinoff of Vincent Daniels and just have him. It would just be six episodes of him just with his face in his hands going, oh, God, I'd wish they would just stop. Right. <laughs> I kept waiting for uh, Captain Krug to run in. <laughs> Captain Picard, it's your it's your ancestors, Picard. Something's <laughs> got to be done about your ancestors. <laughs> okay, no more Back to the Future jokes. <laughs> sure <laughs> okay i'll do my best 
But this is the thing about time travel. This is always the problem about time travel. If you screw it up, can't you just do it again? It's 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 a very weak premise when it comes to trying to make movies. I mean, it it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I get it. it. It's one of those. It's a writer's crutch of like I can't figure out how to defeat these people, so I'm just gonna say, what if I kill them before? <laughs> you know, let's kill baby Hitler. At least it really, was, that's what it comes back to. At least it was the bad guys come up with the idea instead of the good guys this time. You know, the good guys just kind of followed through on it. But yeah, I mean, why don't you go back and kill Zephram Cochran when he's a baby or make sure that his parents never meet or just hack his high school grades and, and flunk him out or something or better yet. Nature. How about you just go find the one Vulcan science vessel and shoot <laughs> it? Then this, you don't have to deal with Earth at all. This is one of those situations where the the Berg, the Borg's thirst for assimilation just really gets in their own way. It's it's an addiction at this point. Mm-hmm. It's not so much furthering their um, agenda as it is just basically sating a desire. Right. They they need some of those sweet sweet cultural influences. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the the one thing that really bugs me about this though is they're they're tied into following these Borg and trying to figure out what happened. I say let them go. Because if the Kirk maneuver has taught us anything, it's that all you need is like an old busted up Klingon vessel and a Vulcan to recalculate how to get to 1986, right? Very good point. These guys have the flagship of the Federation, the fastest vessel that's ever been created by the Federation. It's got more weapons than anybody else. And they have a walking computer who can make all the calculations for them and take them back in time. And they're already above Earth. The sun's right there. I, what's the problem here, guys? <laughs> Go back in time. Fix it. <laughs> no, no, no. They're just going to keep on following this Borg vessel and see whatever happens. So this might be that Borg influence on, on Picard because just as their thirst for assim- assimilation kind of gets in their way, this is the scene where you start to see Picard went from the scene where we're going to go there no matter what they say. And I was like, yay, Captain Picard. And now you start to see his face and his, his mind and he's not well. Yeah. He sees, he sees what's happened. And the, when they scan earth and they go, Oh, oh look at that. All earth just turned into Borg. His guilt kicks in so hard at that point that there is an immediate change and in the way he talks, the way he's standing. I honestly, I thought it was a really good job by both the director and the actor um, Mm. to kind of take that, that note to show that, okay, John's going a little bit around the bend on this. Yeah, no, I get that. That makes sense. So we figure out, okay, they're going to go back through time. The, the Borg are going to go back through time. They're going to assimilate the human beings. And because of that, everything is going to turn out all Borgia all over the earth. But the Enterprise, we throw in a quick explanation. Hey, wait, how come we aren't all Borgie? Oh, because we're in the wake of that temporal thing. Mm-hmm. How convenient. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone around the sun, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. We're gonna go into that that very scary wormhole that we have no idea where the board just went. We're we're just follow them in there. I'm sure it will be fine. If they can do it, we can do it. Let's go. <laughs> and where do they go? Montana. Montana. <laughs> I mean, it's a well known fact. If you travel back in time, go to Montana. Gentrification. Wait, no, maybe. gentrification is a problem there. I mean, no matter what time you get there. I don't know, man. The The looks of what they arrived to, I mean, it's basically a campsite in the middle of the forest, which I don't think is what Montana looks like. But okay. <laughs> um, they, they show up there. Now, here's what I don't get. Um, a little bit later, so we know that this is post-World War III. Yes. Um, that's been brought up in shows and, and stuff all over the place. Uh, so, okay, cool. Everybody's been kind of bombed pretty hard. Things have been driven back. Uh, there's there's talk in other, uh, other shows about how there were EMPs that were launched, basically pushed everybody back to, uh, to, to kind of uh, lesser technology levels. Yes. But they're at a missile silo. 
in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And Zephyrin Cochran at one point will talk about the fact that he had, he does not like to fly. He prefers to take trains. Where is everything? So Where does that, he take trains and planes to? So I was wondering about this also in, and the question I have is because of what we're seeing here, do we think the rest of earth is that is this way or are what we seen actually just a small encampment that has built an economy around Zephyr Cochran's construction project? Oh, I guess that's, I guess you can see that kind of like a mining town. It just kind of grows up around and you get the stuff that you need, yeah. which would explain why there is so many stills. Zephyr <laughs> Cochran is going to need a lot of booze. Now, one thing that I did read, there is a slight problem in uh, continuity in that this is supposed to be happening around Bozeman and the closest nuclear silo to Bozeman is actually about 160 miles away. I'm sorry. Bozeman? Bozeman. As in the Bozeman? Hence hence the name of the ship. Yes. Historic um, Bozeman. Exactly. <laughs> if if anyone's not yet seen the Lower Decks episode where they go to Historic Bozeman, highly recommend it. Oh my God, so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, we're going to meet Zephyr and Cochran. Uh, he comes walking out of the bar. He's trashed. Uh, and he's with Lily. Um, they are played by uh, Alfred Woodard and um, James Cromwell. Yes. And they're great actors. So much fun. Yes. Um, they apparently James Cromwell was actually choice number two, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was kind of a funny story. Yeah. Uh, apparently Tom Hanks was actually in the running for this. Uh, but if you hear Brandon Braga talk about it, it was uh, it was an idea that came up, but we never seriously considered it. It didn't really matter because at the end of the day, Tom Hanks was making that thing you do, and you know that was a huge flop. So it was a bad decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you say remade my career? Um, so yeah, uh, he he made the right choice. He he went off to do another movie instead of a Star Trek movie. Um, and I, I also think he made a great choice because James Cromwell is awesome. Yes. Yes, he is. Actually, both of them are Alfred Woodard is one of my favorite actresses and, and they both really, really brought it for this film. In fact, Absolutely. There, there was an article that I read that <clears throat> each of them talked separately about the fact that they were allowed by Frakes to play the part as they wanted to and said they actually ended up playing the part very much as themselves. And they said, it was a really excellent experience um, with a new director because they felt very uh, uh, free to create the characters themselves without a lot of outside input. And uh, they said they, to this day, it was one of the most enjoyable experiences that they've had. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now when we meet them, they're walking outside of the bar and Cochran looks up in the sky or excuse me, uh, Lily looks up in the sky and says, Oh, what's that? Cochran's like, oh, that's that's the Leo constellation, which, which as good. Oh, just say uh, the Leo constellation is the constellation that does contain the actual star Wolf three five nine, which was the site of the Great Borg battle in Best of Both Worlds. Exactly. Um, now, interestingly enough, the constellation Leo. I'm actually watching uh, Battlestar Galactica right now, and one of the things that they're looking for is constellation Leo. And I believe that the pulsar that they're actually looking for is wolf three, five, nine. Are you watching the new or the old one? The new one. So Ronald Moore, that would make sense. Yep. I just thought that was kind of a, a neat little, uh, side note on not necessarily continuity, but you know, Easter eggs. That is really cool. Actually, that is really right. cool. Um, now as, as the, uh, as she's looking, she sees these blue and green or bluish green energy bolts start coming towards them. And she shouts, maybe it's the econ, which is actually a reference to China, but not saying China cause it's the Eastern, uh, <laughs> uh, Eastern coalition coalition. Um, 
which was kind of weird that they just kind of said that out of nowhere and you have to try to figure out what she's talking about. <laughs> um, apparently saying China was kind of a no-no on set um, because they were worried about you know the way politics were going and the fact they were probably going to try to sell this in China. So. <laughs> anyway. Um, so then the Enterprise shows up above them as well. And, and what's the Enterprise do? And they finally shoot. They get the quantum torpedoes out and they shoot the ball. Now, it would have been kind of cooler if they would have done that before it went through the whole time vortex thing. But, hey, you know, better late than never. But as the Enterprise comes out of the time conduit that was created by the Borg, just want to point out, uh, uh, long-range sensors are not operational and the shields are down. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, that, that's fine. Uh, that couldn't cause any problems. That's the worst that could happen. Right. So they, uh, they blow up the ball and they start scanning the planet to figure out just where they are. Cause you know, they saved the world and they find <laughs> out that the place that it was shooting was in the Northern hemisphere, in the North American continent in a place called Montana. And, oh, okay. and nobody, nobody bats an eye. Nobody bats oh, a single eye. It's a missile complex in Montana. Oh, oh okay, cool. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. What's the date, Data? Well, it's April 4th. April 4th? Holy year. crud! 2063. <laughs> everybody on the ship is like, oh my God. They all had to study this crap in elementary school. They all know it's in Montana. Come on, guys. This this would be like if you were sent back to time and it was like, hey, what's that? That's Fort Sumter. Oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if something interesting will happen there. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Like there are people on this bridge that are from North America. Yes. Picard is the only one who recognizes this, and he's from France. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop us here, and I'm just gonna say that we've we've gone on long enough. Uh, we're gonna have to continue this in part two, so uh, we will join next time to go over what happens once Picard gets to Montana. Join us! Thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, I would like to say a great big thank you to our friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song "Beam Down" as our intro and outro. Thank you. Uh, please make sure you head on over to fiveyearmission.net where they do uh, uh, one song for every episode of the old series grouped into albums for each season. It's a really great listen. They've got some other great stuff on there as well. Check them out. Take a look through the catalog. Amazing stuff. Um, Stargate 832-2016